0: I'm trying not to hold you very long. It's going to shock you, but I'm hungry. I've ate most of the snacks in my pocket. have to be careful you don't want your sugar to get out of way. First John 3:16. I've been praying all week studying I love to read the the word but I got to looking through the New Testament the man that wrote two thirds of the New Testament was a scholar very well educated but he always gave his testimony I know y'all have heard me tell it somebody needs to hear what God can do in their lives today Hereby perceive we the love of God because He laid down His life for us. Isn't that awesome? God stepped out of heaven and laid down His life for us. He didn't have to, but He loved you so much that He's seen you on this Easter Sunday, 2017, Salem, Illinois, And he said, you're going to need a savior. So he put on flesh. And he died the most cruel, horrible death known to man. So that you could be free. So Nick Mahaney could be free. Father, I worship you. I magnify your name. God, there's none like you. There's none besides you, Lord. Now, Lord, I need you to anoint me like I've never been anointed before, Jesus. In the name of Jesus Christ, God, I'm asking you to move upon me. Lord, move upon somebody's heart. This may be their last chance, God. Lord, let us be sensitive to what you need us to do. It's not about us. It's all about you, Jesus. It's not about me. It's all about you, Jesus. In the name of Jesus, I feel such a burden right now. In Jesus' name, you may be seated. Pittsburgh, Kansas was is in like 1970. Don't look at me like that. I know I don't look like I was alive in 1970. Some of y'all do. But. And my father and I heard that he was referenced in another message again in Holiday Youth Convention. The guy was a nut, okay? And My dad went to Pittsburgh, Kansas. He got the Holy Ghost in 1967. I was two years old. Yeah, that means I was born in 1965. Can't get nothing over on you northern folks, can we? (laughs) LSU people would still be going. (laughs) Jonathan, my grandson, said, where are we going? I said, Salem. He goes, LSU? So we came to Pittsburgh, Kansas, and we were riding around the first week, you know, checking out the town, and we was driving by this park, and this park had about 300 people that had just had a picnic on the ground, you know, and they were headed to a church that was catty corner to the park, and... I said Caddy Corner last weekend in Ohio, and they asked me what that meant. But I'm like, really? How do I explain it? It's Caddy Corner. And as they were filing past, we were all in our car, and they were, you know, they're walking in front of us. I was standing up in the front seat. You know, that's back before you had to wear uh, car seats. They, my dad loved me a lot. He just let me stand up front. I mean, we didn't, y'all remember, I used to sleep in the back glass when I got tired. Now, you know, you, you don't have a seatbelt on, everybody's hiding from the popo, you know. And this guy walks by our, my dad's window, and he said, excuse me, are you our guest speaker? You see, the church that we was catty-cornered to was called the Trinity Full Gospel Church. Now, I'm not going to, you know, throw stones at nobody, but my dad wasn't a part of the Trinity Full Gospel Church. And that guy made a big mistake when he walked up to that fat Jesus named preacher and said, excuse me, are you our guest speaker? So without missing a beat, my dad said, I sure am. They said, well, come on, we've been waiting on you. Well, we would never been in a church this big in my life. You know, it was massive. And the Mahanys walk in, all five of us, like a little row of ducks, looking around, you know, there's theater seating. And I'm like thinking, wow, this is something else, you know. And they said, here's our guest speaker. And he said, Charlie Mahaney. I don't know what they were thinking. But they, my dad didn't even walk to the uh, pulpit. He slid up to the pulpit. He told him the name brand of his suit. Mine's an off-brand. I can't afford, you know, the boss, so I wear the foreman, so. He told him the name brand of his tie. My dad told him the name brand of his shirt. Told him the name brand of his socks. Told him the name brand of his shoes. And he told him everything I own has a name on it or it's bootleg. He said, if you got a baptism and it doesn't have a name on it, you got a bootleg baptism. Well, that went over like a pork chop at a bar mitzvah. (laughs) And as quick as they ushered us in, guess what? They ushered us right on out that building. But there was two people in that church that God had revealed Jesus' name baptism to. And when we walked out, they followed us out besides the church, and that's what we used to start our church with. Now, they began to persecute my father. They tried to blow the church up one time. My dad said he didn't mind that so much, but he was in it. And you have to understand, my dad was a big old guy. My dad was big, had tattoos all over him. He said when they ran out of stuff to read in jail, they read him. Had one little, had an eye that was almost blind, so he squinted all the time. Face looked like it caught on fire, and they put it out with a golf shoe, you know. Just a mean-looking guy. And uh, we was sitting on the porch, me and my father, and these two carloads of men pull up. One of them gets out and says, hey, and I think he said fat boy, but I don't remember for sure. But He said, are you Charles Mahaney? My dad said, I am. They said, good, because we're here to whip you. And I went, yeah. <laughs> you know, we didn't have television. That was going to be some fun stuff right there. <laughs> that was before VCRs, you know, and all that stuff. My dad said, well, come on. He took his coat off, and he laid it over our porch rail. And that guy started to come up. My dad said, come on. I believe I got enough the Holy Ghost in me to let you whip me. And when he put his foot on the step, my dad jabs him in the chest. He said, but you better pray I don't backslide during this beating, Jack. (laughs) He said, y'all either start whipping or I'm going to start casting out devils. And when I tell you, them guys ran across the neighborhood. They left their cars in their front yard and they ran. The last three years of my dad's life, I traveled with him. And I would sing for him. and, And I began to pick his brain because my father was an evangelist for 34 years. And I said, Dad, why were you an evangelist for so long? And my dad told me he was in his office one night after church, and he was praying. And he said he heard an audible voice, and that voice told him to look up. My dad said when he looked up, he was in a different dimension, and he was walking down a path. And my dad said off in the distance, he could hear people screaming at the end of this path. And he said the further he walked down this path, he could feel a blast of heat. And he could smell hair and flesh burning. My dad said he looked over in this pit and people were tumbling and falling and screaming in hell. My dad said the voice of God spoke to him and said, I want you to look across this pit. My dad said he looked across this pit and he could see tens of thousands of people. And my dad said the Lord spoke to him. He said, now look in their face. My dad told me, he said, son, what stood out the most was I could see every feature on their face. And he said, the Lord spoke to me and said, if you don't evangelize, their blood's going to be on your hands. So my father goes home that night, and he has a dream. And in that dream, I've got a brother and sister who are twins. My sister has passed, but my brother and sister were twins, and they were born on my second birthday. Yeah, that was a great birthday present. We're already in home missions, all right? I didn't even get a cake. I got two screaming kids, a brother and sister. So we all three had the same birthday. My dad said it's because he is oneness, but y'all figure that one out. My dad would get up to preach and he'd introduce us to sing, and he'd call us Charlie's Angels back in the seventies. <laughs> but in that dream, some of these young people are going, Charlie's Angels? Is that an Xbox game? But in that dream, my mother was rocking my brother and sister, and they were dead. And my dad walks up in the dream and says, what has happened? And she points at him and says, you wouldn't evangelize. My dad gets up, and he begins to pray. And he said, God, if this is from you, show this dream to my wife. And I want you to know before the dawn could even break, God had shown this same dream to my mother. And she, was, she walked up to my father and said, I don't know what's going on, but we got to evangelize. So my dad read that to be an evangelist, you needed a trailer. Y'all seen I got a trailer. But the trailer my dad pulled up in, y'all seen them little teardrop trailers? I was showed my wife yesterday the size of the trailer. She goes, you got to be kidding me. All five of us piled in there, no bathroom, five Mahanys in that tight of space. I'm going to tell you, that's Hades on earth for somebody and to pull that trailer, my father, anybody, you old, I know, look at Brother Mac looking at me. He probably had one of these cars. Pulling it, we had a 1965 Buick Wildcat. Anybody remember those? The front of it went way out to the freeway yonder. It had an emblem on the front, but you needed binoculars to see it. It was so far. That I've never seen a car with a hood that long. Now, there's great craftsmanship in this gym, and you can tell that a Mahaney didn't build it, all right? I was at our Arkansas campground uh, this past week, and the caretaker was telling somebody, he says, well, Brother Mahaney's not much of a builder, but he's sure a good demolisher. <laughs> well, all of us Mahaney's are demolishers, and this old car, it didn't have any taillights, so my father got this idea that he would run wires from the battery to the driver's side and then wires from the taillight to the driver's side. And when, we, when uh, we'd see the police, we'd say cops, and so my dad would rub the wires together, taillights. You can't make stuff up like this, y'all. Now my favorite feature well, my favorite feature, other than driving down the road and the doors flying open, <laughs> just just out of the blue, just woo, just fly open, you know. Was that every time we made a left-hand turn, the horn would honk. So guess which way every revival we went to. It seemed like every time we turned into church, oh yeah, left-hand turn, honk. If I, I wish I could show you on DVD or tape the prayer meetings me and my brother and sister had in the back seat of that car. God, take this car! Most embarrassing ride I've ever been in, and I've had some bad ones. We were in an outdoor service in Wharton, Texas. Now, my dad always had something to say, he was never speechless. And my dad was preaching away at this outdoor service, and he got this shocked look on his face, He became speechless. We all turned around to look to see what he was looking at, and our car was on fire. God had taken it in a sacrifice. And if you would look, one of the Mahaney kids was running the aisles. One was spinning, and the other one was rolling on the floor. God began to use Charlie Mahaney greatly. When he stepped out on faith and went out on the evangelistic field, God began to use him immediately. Eldorado, Arkansas, 1978. I can remember it like it was yesterday. There was a man there that was about 50 years old. He was born without things in his head to be able to see. He wasn't born with the eyes in his head to be able to see. My father went back and put his hands over that man's eyes, and he said, I speak the word of faith, And immediately, God created the eyes in this man's head. Come on, he stands up and begins to scream, I can see, I can see. Now, you want to talk about a witness to the community. Come on, that church was packed to the walls the next night. We like to never got out of that service that day. This man was 50 years old and never seen a day in his life. Come on, God is still the blind eye opener. God is still the deaf ear on stuffer. My God can still heal somebody in a wheelchair. We were in Louisiana in revival. Now it's going to shock y'all, but them people in Louisiana need revival. And we was in a town maybe smaller than Salem. It was smaller than Salem. And you know where you can have a flat? And by the end of the day, everybody knows you had a flat. They don't even know what kind of tire you put on there. You can't sneak how many crappie you catch because everybody knows what you did, what bait you're using. I'm hitting around here, Brother Mac. I'm feeling a crappie fishing revival coming on. Look at him, he about shouted over there. Well, there was a boy in this service that was about 17 years old. And he was born where he couldn't move nothing. His back, his arms, his legs. My father walked down, put his hands on that boy's head while the song service was going. Everybody was staring at him about like y'all are staring at me right now. And nothing happened. So my dad walks back. And he's on the, uh, right about the time he gets up to preach, This boy sticks his hand out, and he begins moving his fingers. In another couple minutes, he sticks out his left hand. Come on, he begins moving his fingers. It looked like a hand snapped that kid into place. And by the end of the service, he was standing behind this wheelchair with his legs all wobbly, shaking. He'd never stood up before. There's only two restaurants in that town. And that Sunday, the restaurant, every time the family came to Sunday dinner, was this one restaurant but this day it was different because they all walked into that restaurant. Can I tell you Salem, come on, you let somebody begin pushing wheelchairs out of this church, Come on, the miracles are going to happen in this town. Come on, the people are going to be drawn to this church because we're not like every other church around here. Come on, we're a one God. Jesus' name, I'll run it. Come on, tongue talking. Where miracles happen church. I believe it's just about to start. I believe people are going to know when they walk through those doors that they can be healed of cancer. I believe that their blind eyes can be opened when they walk through those doors. I believe when the drug addict walks through those doors, the power of God's going to hit them. Chains are going to fall off. Come on, we're not waiting on God. God's waiting on us. God's waiting us, on us to step into a whole new dimension of faith. We started evangelizing in the early 70s. And a lot of times they just didn't have a lot of money to pay you. I've watched my mom and dad get out and pray over the gas tank. Come on. And say, God, I don't know how we're going to do it, but we got to be at the next revival. And they would lay hands on the car. Come on, when's the last time you laid hands on your car? Hadn't been long for us. We're evangelists. <laughs> I'm just going to tell you right now. We were in an old house in between revivals. We had no food. It was Christmas time. And I heard my dad and mom talking. My mother said, I don't know what we're going to do. We have nothing to eat. My dad said, set the table. And my mom said, all the plates out, the silverware, the glasses, the dishes that food was supposed to be in. Now you want to hear mass pandemonium? Just say dinner time in a Mahaney home. It sounds like a herd of wildebeest coming through the house. We slide up in that chair. You know, I, I can. I got it to where I can slide up and grab the fork at the same time, and have my head bowed. We slide up at that table. You know, and it's not the first thing you notice is there ain't nothing at the table. And my dad says, Bow your head, we're going to say grace over this food. I look at my brother and I go, What food? He has lost it now. That man of God lifts his hands. He says, Father, bless this food we are about to receive. Sanctify it to our bodies in the name of Jesus. And all of a sudden, my dad walks to the door. There's two men standing there. They got big sacks of groceries. Come on. And the man looks at my dad and goes, well, I don't know who you are, but I was driving by here and I'm compelled to give you all this food. Come on. The Bible says i never seen the righteous forsaken or their seed out begging for bread. Now I want you to hear me for a minute. I'm a blessed man. God has blessed me with the nice things in life. I want to tell you why. Because I'm living on the overflow of a righteous man named Charles Mahaney. That's why I'm righteous. I want my family to be blessed. I don't want my seed out begging for bread. Come on, men. If you got children, you need to be as righteous as you can. Because the Bible says I was young. I was old. But i never seen the righteous forsaken or their seed out begging bread. Bless us, Lord. I watched my father cast out demons. Now, we get a little freaky when you start talking about the devil. I mean, I was even at one place not too long ago, and they said, man, this guy's talking in like seven voices. You go pray for him. I said, you go pray for him. But you're the evangelist. You're the pastor. He's flopping off the ground this high. I'm like, I wasn't real... Urgent needing to go pray for this fella. See look at y'all looking at me. I'd sick big mad on them, what I do. I watch as my father would take dominion over demons. Come on and take authority over devils. Listen, we live in an age and time where people are trying to make everything a gray area. Every time I see a coexist bumper sticker, I want to push him off the road in my dually. Come on, I'm only here to exist with one person. His name is Jesus Christ. Come on, I'm not here for Allah. I'm not here for anybody else. I'm here for Jesus. Every demon in hell trembles when I say the name of Jesus. Come on, every disease has to flee when I say the name of Jesus. I don't care what kind of bondage or addiction you're under. It's not strong enough for the name of Jesus Christ. Come on, he's the risen Savior. He's the God that's a God alone. He doesn't need any help. He created this world. He created me. You would think after seeing all of this stuff that I saw that I'd be the first one to Bible school. Headed to Bible college with my Bible under my arm. The only thing that stood between me and college was high school. Hallelujah. Some of you are with me, right? They had me play Abraham Lincoln in the third grade. I was the only boy who could grow a beard. I went into math class one day, and the teacher said, if you had 40 cents in one pocket, 50 in the other, what would you have? I said, somebody else's pants. I don't know. So you'll never need a dictionary to hear me preach, all right? Redfield, Arkansas, 1983. I was 17 years old. Senior camp. Jerry Dean was my youth president. Aubrey Giroux was my youth secretary. I came to camp that week. I had two ounces of weed, two-fifths of vodka. And I stayed out in the woods smoking dope. And on Thursday, a man caught me. And he brought me in to the boardroom where all the dignitaries was. But he brought me to just Brother Dean and Brother McCool. Brother McCool flushed my marijuana. And Brother Dean asked him, says, Brother McCool, what do you think we need to do with this boy? Brother McCool began to weep, and he said, Brother Dean, if this was my son, I would be begging for mercy. Brother Dean was very angry at me, and he stood over me, and he put his finger in my face. He said, Nick Mahaney, I ought to call the police, and I ought to call your dad, and I ought to call Brother Lumpkin, who's our superintendent. He said, but the Holy Ghost is telling me you're at a crossroads. If you don't find something here tonight, your life's never going to be the same again. Can I tell you right now what I feel in the Holy Ghost? Somebody is at a crossroads right now. Come on in. I'm just going to be specific with you. You've been in and you've been out. You've been in and you've been out. God is getting to a point where he's just like Pharaoh. He's going to harden your heart. It's not going to be your heart that hardens anymore. Come on. I'm telling you, I feel this in the name of Jesus Christ. Somebody in this place, you better quit gambling with your soul. You better get bright before you leave this place today. So Brother Dean let me go back to my dorm. I went back to the dorm and I started drinking. And by the time it was church, I was pretty drunk. First song, I tapped my friends on the leg and I said, I don't believe in God, I don't believe in this message, and I don't believe in this church. I'll never be back again. 17, I walked out on that campground in June of 1983 on the backside of the cross. In one year... I was running around the same area where this campground was. I would pull up many a night and curse God and throw whiskey bottles at that tabernacle. And one year, I was a full-blown alcoholic where my hands shook like this. And the only way that I could get my hands to calm down was I'd start drinking and slamming vodka and slamming bourbon and rolling joints and start drinking. I would go into alcoholic blackouts where I'd wake up in ditches. Or wake up out in the woods with your car wrapped around a tree. You don't even know what happened. And the worst is to wake up in jail. Don't even have a clue what you're in jail for. And have to ask because you're afraid. You don't know if you robbed somebody. You don't know if you ran over somebody. You have no idea what you've done. You see, God will send people into your lives. Come on, if you'll just hold on, God will send the right person into your life. Can I tell you, young ladies, you don't have to go out of church to find a man. You just hang on. God's going to send you the right husband. Come on, God will send you a man that won't come home drunk and beat up on you. God will send you a man that won't smoke up all your check. But the devil's got one too. he got some guy whose pant pocket's way down here. I don't even know where they buy underwear that long. That's all you see. And trust me, they get mad when you ask them about it. I've had a few of them get pretty mad at me. How do you get your wallet out of there, boy? Got one whisker up here, one down here, one over here. Reminds you of the scripture, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. I mean, if you're going to grow a beard, grow a beard. Young men, God has a woman for you too. Come on, don't you go looking out somewhere else. Come on, you wait and you let God send you a woman that's going to be a godly woman, like God sent me a godly woman. Come on, somebody that'll walk beside you. Come on, that'll pray over you. Come on, somebody that'll fast with you. Come on, somebody that'll be faithful to you. Not some girl that's got eyelashes out to here. wearing a gownless evening strap. Y'all know what I'm talking about in this day and age? Folks need to learn how to cover stuff up. I've never seen anything like it. You go to the airports in America and everybody around there is walking in God only knows what. Some of them need a weight limit on their tag. And it's a shame you go to an airport overseas, you don't see the same thing. Come on, America needs to wake up. America needs to wake up and realize who we are. Well, the devil began sending people into my life. And I was about 18 at a party and a guy walked out and he had a mirror about this size. And there was long white lines on it. He said, man, you like to party? He said, try one of these, it's cocaine, you'll party all night long. So I tried. I snorted my first line of cocaine. Man, he was right. I I was high. I wanted to dance. Look at me. I'm a big fat white guy. I can't dance, boy. I'd I'd get out there and try. And that's back, if y'all remember, in the early '80s. The elders will remember that there was an epidemic. All over the news outlet, how the cheapest, most potent form of cocaine has hit America. And at that time, nobody had seen any, any cocaine like this. It was called crack cocaine. People were taking one hit and were dying. Now, all over the news was one hit, you'll die. One hit, you'll be hopelessly and helplessly addicted. Well, I couldn't wait to find some crack cocaine. And I took a radio antenna you can, that's hollow put Brillo down in it. You know when all the crackheads are around, there's not a a radio antenna in the whole county. And I put that crack rock on that Brillo and I put the light to it. When I heard it sizzle and I drew that smoke down into my lungs and I blew it out. I was higher than I'd ever been before in my life. From that moment on, they were right. I was helplessly and hopelessly addicted to crack cocaine. The only way that I could supply my habit was I got in with some guys, and we began making massive amounts of crack cocaine and distributing all over Little Rock and, and, and Arkansas. I have been to apartments as a woman, pregnant, no heat, no, no, no food, no water, no lights, with, pregnant with a kid standing under her stomach and one pulling on her dress, handed me all of her money for crack cocaine. Come on, you can sit there and shake your head, but what are we doing about it? Come on, what are we doing about it? Come on, we are people of the name. We're supposed to be people of faith. If you know of a crack house, you need to drive by it every day and say, I rebuke that place and every spirit that's around it in the name of Jesus. Come on, if you know of a neighborhood, you need to drive through that neighborhood and say, hey, devil, I'm in this neighborhood, and I want you to know that greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I began running around with some bikers. They got me off of the crack and onto methamphetamines. I remember the first time I snorted a line of meth. I washed my car, the neighbor's car, everybody on the block's car. I talked so much on meth that my tongue was sunburnt. I was up 14 days on methamphetamines. We, what we would do, me and my biker friends, I was the little guy. Imagine that. And we would go into the grocery stores at the time, and you could gather what you wanted and make a, uh, a batch of meth or crank. And we would just gather up and walk out and steal it. We only had one manager try to stop us one day, and he ran up to Danny, big old, big old dude. He said, excuse me, where are you going with that? Danny said, we're stealing it, sir. He goes, okay, have a nice day. We made a big batch of methamphetamines. People were dipping it out and uh, snorting it, smoking it, shooting it up. We had a huge party going on. It's on Junior Deputy Road, Little Rock, Arkansas. I was sitting in a blue recliner. My friend Danny walked up and he said, roll your sleeve up. I'll show you how to get high. He said, you'll feel something like a pin sticking you. and You'll be higher than you've ever been before in your life. I rolled my sleeve up. And I watched as he took a U-100 insulin syringe and he put it in my veins. And when, he, when I saw that point go into my vein and that blood shoot up into that syringe, right then I was hopelessly addicted. From that moment on, it didn't matter what I had to do. I was going to do it to put drugs in a spoon and draw it up in a U-100 insulin syringe and put it in my arms. It meant more to me than jobs. It meant more to me than family. It meant more to me than my children. It meant more to me. If I was at a, a place... And I seen you had a bunch of money, I'd follow you and beat you up, strong arm you, and take your money. We'd do armed robberies, we'd do burglaries, carjackings, anything that we could do to get high. Didn't mean, you know what, my kids didn't matter anymore because I had that needle, methamphetamines. Come on, nothing in my life mattered anymore. So the only way that I could keep up with my habit, I became a meth cook. And for 10 years of my life, I ducked and dodged and hid out all over the place, cooking methamphetamines. The police were after me. The drug task force was after me. We was always on the dodge. People were trying to rob me, people trying to kill me, or people would just get mad because I wouldn't give them any dope, and they would call the police on me. I was pulling down in a, a house on Sardis Road, and when I pulled in, A man pulled open the door, and he stuck a pistol up to my head. And I thought he was trying to rob me, so I grabbed him. We went and and pulled him into my car, and we began to fight. And I thought I was fighting for my life. And, I mean, I put a thumping on this guy pretty bad, and I threw the pistol outside, and I was going to push him off outside and try to finish him up. And when I did, a badge popped out on the chain. Now, I don't know how they are in Salem, but in Arkansas, the popo get mad, and you you take their gun from them. Any of y'all ever been pepper sprayed? It was just this year that I started saying, pass the pepper, please. I was scared to say, pass the pepper. I love pepper. I didn't eat it for 10 years because of what them guys did to me. Everybody got issued pepper spray that day, and they were trying it out on me. Hit me in the head with a stick. My head was bleeding. They jerked my shirt off and drug me across the rocks, telling you a true story. One guy had this arm bent this way, and the other guy had the wrist bent over that way, and me the whole time going, I'm not resisting. So they finally got me handcuffed. Here's something else I don't understand. As they're putting me in the car, they go, watch your head, sir. I'm like, where was that feller about 10 minutes ago? That's the one who I needed arresting me, the guy that said, watch your head, because the rest of them were beating me on my head. Five class Y felonies. I got the paperwork and found it the other day. 57 months, 72 months, 68 months. Come on, the smallest one in there was like 51 months. As I was waiting to go on trial for these felonies, the drug task force raided my house. I had a full-blown meth lab going in my house. Eight more class Y felonies. Ten to sixty years apiece. You see, I was thirty-eight years old. My life was over. All oh, the fun was gone now. Come on, all the big-time drug dealer things, they were gone now. Come on, who was going to be there now for me as I'm sitting in jail again? Again. Come on, this time they chained me to the floor. Come on, I went in that same jail Wednesday. And I'll be honest with you, old fears begin to come back over me as I heard those old doors slamming. Here I was. My life was over. My dad, had, I'd never had my dad pick me up for jail. And he heard his, my son was there. And when they, when they swept the property, they, they charged my son with everything they charged me with. He had just turned 18. Come on, if you can't live for God for yourself, you need to look at that child. Come on, if you can't live for God for yourself, come on, Daddy. That boy's going to grow up and be just like you. Come on, Mom. That girl, girl's going to grow up and be just like you. Come on, just maybe. If my children would have seen me in church, just maybe. Come on, I, they wouldn't be in the situation in the shape they're in today. Come on, we need some men to step up in this last day. Come on, man, You're supposed to be over this house We got guys that get all offended if you call them boy, or you get all offended if you don't act like, don't don't acknowledge their manhood. Let me tell you something: a real man lives for God. It doesn't take anybody to be out there and be a drug addict or an alcoholic. It doesn't take a man. A real man says, "As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord." I go to court, and my plea bargain uh, is 40 to life. My life is over, 40 to life in prison. You see, I'd been to jail more times than Otis a drunk on Mayberry. I don't know if y'all know who that is. But this one time, my dad came to pick me up. Now, y'all have to understand, my dad thought tact was something you nailed rug down with. He wasn't a real tactful guy. And when I got in the car, his exact words was, Hey, ignorant. He called everybody ignorant. I thought my birth certificate would say Nicholas Ignat Mahaney when I got it. You know what he said? He said, Boy, you've ruined your life. Your life's over. He said, You're a dead man walking. You see, the devil had told me, You've been too far. You've done too many violent crimes. You've, You've hurt too many people being a drug dealer. You've destroyed too many families. God doesn't want you. So I had just come to grips with that. I was just going to die and go to hell. You know what? Something turned in me that day. I turned around, Pastor, and I looked at my father. and I said, Dad, do you think God would forgive me? Because I did not believe God would forgive me. I watched a big tear run down my dad's face. You know what he said? Come home, son. Come home. I walked in that house that night, and I laid my head down on the pillow, and all I could hear was, "Amen." Zing grace, how sweet the sound that saved, saved a wretch. And I'm telling you, I got up, I began to shoot dope, I began to drink, and for the next about three months, every time I would lay my head down, all I would hear was those old songs that was playing when I walked out of that campground. And it got to where I was either going to commit suicide, or I was going to be free from the drugs. So I found a drug rehab in Little Rock, Arkansas. It's called Serenity Park. When you walk in, the jail's on the left, the cemetery's on the right, and they say, take a look at both of them, because if you don't get help, that's where you're going. I walked in that place high. I'd been up all day, all night long, shooting dope. And I walked in, and a little receptionist sat in there, and I said, my name's Nick Mahaney. I'm here to check myself in, because I did not want to go to prison like this. And you know what that little girl did? She stood up and said, Nick Mahaney, your dad wouldn't be Charles Mahaney, would it? And I thought, oh, Lord, here we go again. She said, that's my favorite preacher. I'm calling my mom. We're going to start praying for you, boy. I can't describe to y'all how how sick you get coming off drugs and alcohol. The only way you realize how sick you get is to go through it. If I would have had a pistol, I'd have shot myself. I was in such pain and agony. And I knew that all I had to do was walk out of that place and go across the street where there was a liquor store, get me a bottle of whiskey, everything would be fine, call one of my friends, and they'd bring me some dope. I, was on, I made up my mind that I was leaving. I'd been there seven days. And the phone rings as I'm walking by, and the guy goes, hey, Nick, it's for you. And I just reached over and grabbed the phone and said, hello, and it was my dad. Hey, Ignorant. <laughs> I was like, oh, no. <laughs> what are you doing, Dad? He goes, how are you? And I said, I'm leaving. He goes, what do you mean you're leaving? I said, I didn't mean to let you and mom down, but I can't do this. I'm out of this place. You know what my dad said? Repent, ignorant, and he slammed the phone down and hung up on me. I can't tell y'all how mad that made me. I thought, well, that fat rascal, he's called me ignorant all my life. You big, fat rascal. And I walked up to that. My room was on the first one on the left. Can I tell you, I heard a voice say, repent. Repent. See, we try to complicate it. We try to complicate it. Repent. Repent, Repentance means God forgive me of my sins, and I'm not going to do them anymore. It don't mean God forgive me of my sins because I'm guilty and I'm going to do them again as soon as I get done repenting for my sins up here today. Come on, it means you're going to turn around and not do them anymore. I open that door and I know God's omnipresent, but that day, Brother Kyle, it was like he was sitting over that bed, and I crawled on my hands and knees to my bed, and I lifted my hands, and I said, God, I don't even know who, if you know who I am. You see, I was possessed by demons. I was possessed with drug addiction, alcoholism, bigotry, and racism. And on my knees that day, I said, God, this is Nick Mahaney. I don't even know if you remember me, but if you'll forgive me and take away all these addictions and these demons, What you called me to do when I was a child, I promise you, the rest of my life, I will do. Whether I'm in prison, come on, or whether I'm free. I was to the point, I didn't care if I was going to die in prison, but I needed a change in my life. And immediately, I began to speak in another language as the Spirit gave me the utterance. You see, the Bible tells us, Acts 1 and 8, ye shall receive power after The Holy Ghost has come upon you. Can I tell you the reason why you keep fighting bondage, the reason why you keep fighting addiction is because you're trying the wrong program. I got a three-step program for you. Repent, be baptized in the name of Jesus, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost evidenced by speaking with other tongues. Listen, I had never been able to overcome all these addictions because I never had the power that I needed when the Holy Ghost began to live inside of me. Till the day I die, I will never forget laying there that night in the quiet of my room just speaking in tongues as God began to fill me and begin to restore me. Well, I'm facing 40 to life in prison. That old man, Nick Mahaney, died in that drug rehab. But the Saline County Court didn't care about the new man. They wanted the old guy still. I went before the judge, 40 to life. Me and my father was sitting in a room on the day of court with my attorney, and there's a program called Drug Court, which my attorney said you have zero chance of getting drug court. You've been violent. You've got felonies in your past. You have all these things going against you. He said, what I'm going to do, I'm going to go to the judge and the prosecutor, and I'm going to ask them to maybe where I can get you to be out of prison in 25 years. Well, that's better. He was gone about three or four minutes. Now, let me tell you, if you're ever in court and your lawyer's only gone three or four minutes, not a good sign. He walked in, and he had this real shocked look on his face. My dad just blurted out, oh, Lord, what's happened? He goes, you're not going to believe this. He said, I never spoke one word to the judge or the prosecutor. The judge looks up and goes, go ask your client if he'll take drug court. Let me tell you, that is a miracle from God right there. That does not happen to men like Nick Mahaney. Everybody in drug court, the most time somebody had if they messed up a drug court while I was in there was five years. I had 144 months times 25% if I failed drug court, plus 144 months supervised parole if I ever lived that long. That's a miracle. So you know what happened? I pled guilty. They put me in drug court. They gave me a therapist. Her name's Lisa Ramsey. Y'all need to pray for her. She was Nick Mahaney's therapist. And the truth of the matter is she is no longer in therapy. I ruined her a therapy. I'm just going to tell you. Every day I'd go see her, I'd be witnessing to her. I walked in one day, and she said, what in the world are you on? I said, I'm not on nothing. I got the Holy Ghost. I said, I'm not Nick Mahaney, the drug addict. I'm not Nick Mahaney, the alcoholic. God has filled me with his spirit. I have been set free. I'd to, because of court, I had to go to those meetings, you know, where I, they'd say, hi, I'm so-and-so, I'm an alcoholic. I'd stand up and say, hi, my name's Nick Mahaney. And guess what? I'm not an alcoholic. Come on. And those folks would get mad at me. Had one guy poking me in the chest one day. I said, hey, bro, God delivered me from drugs and alcohol, but he didn't deliver me from you poking me in the chest. I said, one more time, and I'm about to pop you on. So one day I'm in her therapy session. She pushes her chair away from the wall, said, that's it, Nick Mahaney, I've had it. And I thought, "Uh uh-oh, you can ask my wife. I have that effect on women. (laughs) That's one phrase I hear, oh, that's it, Nick Mahaney, I've had it. She said, if you'll learn that song, who am I? I'll come come to your church. I went and found the soundtrack Sunday night. She walked into our church. Just so happened Charlie Mahaney was preaching that night. She was in trouble to start with. Fine Catholic lady walks in. We had a big baptistry up there, you know. She said, what is that? I said, well, we can't drink our baptistry. We got to dunk you down in it. She goes, You're not putting me in there. We baptized her in Jesus' name that night. Come on, we baptized her husband in Jesus' name that night. At one time, almost everybody in drug court I had baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Come on, the parole officers, I'd baptize them in Jesus' name. Probation officers, come on. August of 2005, I was finally going to get to graduate from something, and it was drug court. Hey, you got to have a diploma for something. That place had seen about 150 people, and it was packed. They were putting on a big push in the state for drug court, and they couldn't believe that I made it through drug court. So they had all the newspapers in the state. They had all the TV stations in the courtroom. Somebody said, what's the UPC going to say? I said, how are they going to know? I'd be like, how'd you know, Jack? And the day before, Judge Arnold called me in his chambers, and I thought I was in trouble that I wasn't going to graduate drug court. He said, Nick Mahaney, out of anybody I've ever met in my life, he said, God has changed your life. He said, this is unprecedented. You think you could get somebody to bring a piano in the courtroom and as we open it up tomorrow sing Amazing Grace? They said, all rise, and I walked in right behind the judge. As they stood up, I stopped and lifted my hands. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me, I want. Was lost. Let me tell you something. The power of God began to fall in that courtroom. People had their hands raised. I look back there and Brother Lumpkin and my dad had big old tears running down their face. My mom had her hand doing this. I thought, uh oh. It's about to bust out in this joint. That judge had a stack of charges. When I tell y'all my charges, the stack was so big that he he had to carry with both hands. He walked up to me. His exact words was, Nick Mahaney, you can take these, you can shred them, you can frame them, you can burn them. I find no fault in you. You're a free and clear man. 2,000 years at a place called Calvary, Jesus Christ stretched his hands. You know what he did? He took the charges of Nick Mahaney. And he put them in his hands. And now today, that same risen Savior, because they put him in a tomb. Come on, they put him in a grave, but the grave couldn't hold him. Come on, they tried to lock him up with a stone, but the stone had to roll away. Because that risen Savior burst forth from that grave. He burst forth. He captured death, hell, and the grave. Now, I'm here to tell you that if you're walking in any kind of bondage, if you're walking in any kind of sin, that same Jesus is in this place today. He wants to set you free, He wants to make you a new creature. You don't have to walk in here like you came in. Let's all stand. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I told the pastor, I got a sermon on, I've been working on, but I feel in my heart I need to tell somebody what God can do for them, what the real risen Savior does. You can preach a sermon, you can show an illustration, you can sew a DVD, but when somebody looks at you in the face and says, I was lost, now I'm found. See, I don't believe things happen by just accident. God, help us, Jesus. Come on, where's my prayer warriors? Come on, we need to intercede right now. I feel it in the Holy Ghost. Come on, this It's no accident. Somebody came here today. Come on, you didn't even know that she's going to be able to come today. You didn't know what was happening in your life. But you knew that all of a sudden you're, you're here. Come on, this service is for you. Don't you walk out on him. Don't you reject him again. Come on, you want to keep living in bondage? You want to keep living in sin? You want to keep living in fear? You go ahead and walk out. But this service was here for you today. Come on, who's going to step out? Come on, who's stepping out? come on and say I can't do I can't live my life like this anymore there has to be something in my life that breaks there has to be something in my life that's going to change come on that risen savior is waiting on you come on won't you give it to him today come on you can walk out of here with peace you can walk out of here free from addiction you can walk out of here free from bondage come on this is your moment this is your chance come on I'm begging and I'm pleading for you to come to the altar Come on, this is your chance to have a life. Come on, when the world and sin says there is no life. Come on, this is your chance to have hope. Come on. Come on, this is an no. all. Come on, you know the moment that you walked in this door, God was dealing with you. Come on, you knew the moment that you walked in here, that you felt something that you've never felt before. Come on, I'm only going to hold this altar open for a few more minutes. Come on, somebody needs to be led by the Holy Ghost and reach over and take somebody by the hand and say, Come on, come to the altar with me. Come meet Jesus today. Come on, come meet him. Come meet him, not as not meet him as your risen Savior.